0: All right, Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. I'm going to tackle a question I get quite a bit and it sometimes pops up on message boards and in discussions, and that is, does keeping other exotics, for example, snakes, prepare you better for keeping tarantulas? Or does that type of experience that you garner from keeping other exotics transfer over and become useful? Last year, maybe a little later, uh, there was a thread on boards where somebody expressed interest in picking up one of the more advanced spiders I can't remember the particular species but I do believe it was an old world and they had mentioned that they had kept snakes for 10 years and probably could transfer over very well because they know basic snake husbandry and therefore that some of that experience would transfer over to tarantula keeping and the responses were not particularly positive from other people on the boards many of them expressed the notion that no keeping another exotic does not in any way, shape, or form prepare you for keeping tarantulas, that they're not comparable, that that type of experience isn't going to help you, and that you're still coming into the hobby a total noob, for lack of a better term. Um, Some people flat out said that they have nothing to do with each other and it's not going to help you at all. And I find that kind of surprising because my background was actually keeping snakes uh, for over 10 years, actually closer to 15 years and I still have two, I kept snakes, we had like 40 snakes, we kept boas, corn snakes, pythons, all kinds of stuff, absolutely love them, we used to go to the shows, pick things up, I love the hobby, and personally speaking, I found that keeping those types of exotic pets, the snakes, did help me big time in transitioning over to tarantulas, now I think there's something that we need to look at, and the big, the biggest facet of keeping exotics is that they are very, very different from the standard vertebrate, furry, fuzzy, cuddly pets that people keep. There's some major differences. So let's talk like dogs, cats, ferrets. I have dogs, I have four dogs, I absolutely huge dog lover. These are animals that require they require much more attention. The husbandry is more from lack of a better term, more involved. They need to be fed daily. They need to have fresh water at all time. A lot of these animals need to be taken out and exercised. Many of them thrive from human interaction and attention. I have a dog sitting on my lap right now. Absolutely enjoys me petting it. And these are things we get used to as pet owners. That if we get a pet... It's a huge responsibility. Just remember back when you were a kid and you got your first pet and your parents were like, Oh, you gotta make sure you feed it every day, you gotta make sure you water it every day. I can remember we grew up on a farm so we were constantly surrounded by animals, so we we're very used to it. But when we were allowed to have like our first gerbils or hamsters, that was basically all we were allowed in our house and probably why my house is filled with tarantulas now, because those were not allowed. It was a big responsibility. Like we had to keep this animal alive. We had to we had to pay it a lot of attention. We had to change its cage quite a bit and change its and clean it out. We had to make sure the water bottle was filled every day. We had to make sure we fed it. So these are things that we come in expectations that we come into when we get into exotic pets and that's a totally different ball game. The majority of exotic pets or a lot of exotic pets, I'm thinking well think snakes and tarantulas right now I haven't done too much with reptiles. They do not need to be fed every day. You feed your snake every day, you're gonna have a fat, portly snake that you're probably gonna shorten the lifespan on and we'll get into power feeding in a little bit. But in normal instances you're not going to feed the animal every single day. As far as handling and attention dogs and cats love the attention snakes some of them will tolerate it I have had snakes that seem to kind of appreciate getting out and move around but I don't think it's so much hey I love this big guy here I want to hug him it's I like the warm touch of his hand because he's nice and warm and he's allowing me to get out and stretch and play so it has nothing to do with them liking me same thing with tarantulas. I I know people out there want to kind of give human characteristics to their tarantulas and say, oh, my tarantula loves climbing up into my hand. They're not programmed for that. That's just not how they think. So it's important to remember that there are some major differences between keeping a furry, fuzzy, cuddly vertebrate animal and an exotic, whether it be a reptile, a snake, a tarantula, whatever it may be. So I think that folks that have done son. kept some type of exotic before do learn some valuable husbandry tricks that will carry over they learn they deprogram themselves from that idea that animals have to eat every day and this is a huge one the majority of emails and messages i get start off as follow hi i'm really worried because my blank and blank will not eat Or hello, my blank and blank hasn't eaten in three weeks. This is a huge thing. It took me a long time, even with having done snakes before and reptiles, it took me a long time to wrap my mind around the fact that tarantulas not only don't need to eat every day, some of them don't need to eat every week. And there are people that keep very happy, full grown adult tarantulas feeding them only once a month or so, and they're perfectly healthy. And that's a tough thing to wrap your mind around, that this animal can go that long without eating. And keeping other exotics like snakes does help you deprogram a bit and realize that if your animal doesn't eat for a little while, it's perfectly fine. Now, did it help me get over this completely? No. When I moved into tarantulas, it still freaked me out when they wouldn't eat and it took me a while to get over it, but at least I understood the concept a lot better than say somebody who's just kept dogs or hamsters. I've had people before that the tarantulas are their first exotic pets and they've never experienced this before. The fact that an animal doesn't have to eat every single day and it really trips them out. Another thing to consider is that keeping other exotic pets does prepare you for the fact that you have to worry about moisture. Um, We talk about humidity a lot. Humidity is something that really goes with the snake hobby, but the idea that some animals need extra moisture to thrive and live is something that does carry over well. So there are many things from these hobbies that can prepare a hobbyist to transition well into keeping tarantulas. Also, it could be said that starting with exotics gets you used to the idea that your animal's not going to be necessarily very cuddly. And what I mean by this is when you have a dog, cat, gerbil, rat, ferret, things of those nature, those those are animals that you pick up, you play with, and generally speaking, you're not too, too concerned with a bite. So we'll talk about dogs and cats because that's obviously the two most basic pets there are out there if my dog bites me we have a problem that's not supposed to happen and i'm not talking about a little love nibble or if you're playing with a puppy or whatnot we're talking about a serious bite however when working with snakes one of the things i had to be careful of and i did handle my snakes most the majority of them was getting bitten we had one snake it was a maclots python that i nicknamed well it was her name we called her hot lips and it was because it's one of the most vicious snakes i'd ever had this was one that when you opened her enclosure you had to be 100% aware of where she was in that enclosure because she was coming to get you. And a lot of times with tarantulas, we talk about aggressive or defensive animals. This one would go straight out at you and try to get you. So it was, I hate calling animals aggressive, but she, she was a little bit aggressive and I was okay with that. I love the snake. But one of the things it got me in the habit of doing was being very aware when I opened that enclosure. I needed to make sure that I knew where that snake was and that she wasn't going to get me if I was cleaning her water dish or adding some water or cleaning her environment. I had to be very careful, keep an eye on her and keep my hands out of the way. And this was the type of experience that got me used to working with tarantulas that again are animals that have the potential biting, you the movements are different and I've heard people argue well the way a snake moves is way different from a tarantula absolutely 100% agree but it's kind of a duh no kidding one of them slithers one of them's got legs they can crawl but it's a similar concept if you have a snake that's defensive that's coming out of its enclosure at you you have to be ready to catch it you have to be ready to deal with it it's not the same as having a tarantula come out at you but it does get you used to being aware, being prepared. And I think that's a big part of the hobby is whenever you do a rehousing or a cleaning, being aware of the animal's temperament being aware of where the animal is and being aware of the possibility of escape that's a big part of it and i do think that from keeping snakes and i had everything from a 14 foot albino burmese python that used to live in our living room to corn snakes to rosy boas which were some of the nastier little guys i had because they'd pretend like they liked your touch and then bite you uh, you got used of their temperaments when they were ready to eat that's another thing with uh, with snakes you have to be ready to recognize that sometimes when you open that enclosure they get in that S mode they're ready to bite because they think you're going to drop food in and being aware of that before you stick your hand in I've done that before I had a big 8 foot uh, boa constrictor that I had a buddy over and she had eaten recently and like a ding dong I just opened the cage and reached my hand in and I paid for it but that was for my own stupidity And I will tell you flat out, I feel, at least for me, and I can't speak with the other keepers that seem to think that the two are not even remotely comparable, it worked well for me. As soon as I got into tarantulas and had to do rehousings, I got very good, I thought, at recognizing where the animal was going to be, preparing for an escape, not hoping an escape happens or saying an escape is inevitable, but being prepared to deal with it if it happens. I think that's a big part of it. And keeping exotic pets or pets that can potentially bite you they're not friendly per se some of them can be conditioned to receive your touch or be handled or whatnot and we won't get into that whole debate right now but it does get you in the habit of working with an animal that may not have hugs and kisses in mind when you play with them and i do think that translates well so overall when people ask me this question i do feel there is a lot of experience you can garner from exotics. And again I'm speaking mostly from snakes from IM because that's what I've had. But I found that a lot of these habits and some of the husbandry ideas Translate over very, very well. So, if you've kept exotics, I do think you have more of a one up on somebody that's never kept an exotic pet in their life. And I think that's what we're comparing it to overall. Uh, We'll take person A has had dogs, cats, maybe a gerbil that's about as exotic as they've gone, and they're getting into the tarantula hobby. They're going to have more to learn overall about just keeping an exotic pet then maybe Keeper B, who has kept snakes for years and had some reptiles and had some lizards and has had to keep moisture levels up and things, that person's going to have a little bit, I think, of a head start as far as jumping right into the hobby. For me, I know it, it it was a profound effect for me as far as, or an impact as far as me getting into the hobby because I did feel like I knew a lot more about keeping exotics, and a lot of this stuff did transfer over well for me, so... Long story short, yes, I do think keeping other exotics, although does not directly prepare you to take care of tarantulas, it does help you transition better into the hobby. You're going to pick up on things much quicker, like keeping your hands out of the way of an animal that could bite you, like the fact that they don't need to eat every day, like the fact that some of them will require moister environments to molt and stay healthy these are all things that will transfer over now some of the things that kind of set people up for failure and i would say the big one is heat lamps and humidity and temperature and things of that nature those of us who started with snakes were used to having heat lamps and i think a lot of us when we first get into the hobby just assume all right heat lamp works for a boa constrictor it works for a corn snake it works for a milk snake works for whatever It'll obviously work for my spider, and that is absolutely not the case. Heat lamps are very, very dangerous to use with tarantulas. Unfortunately, unlike snakes that are very good at temperature regulating, they will find a warm spot when they need it, but then they will move away from it when they don't. Tarantulas are known to hug those hot spots into the point where they are dehydrated And can no longer move So when the time comes where it's like uh Uh-oh, I'm frying here, gotta get out of here Some of them have already become dehydrated The hydraulics that basically make their legs work Are no longer working And then they die And this happens quite a bit I've had somebody recently Who bought a, a a Vic from Petco Was sold a heat lamp They were told no problem Just set that heat lamp right up top And they basically emailed me and said I don't understand what happened She was sitting up right by this red heat lamp and she was doing great and she obviously liked the heat because she stayed there and then she was dead and I had to explain well unfortunately yes she probably did appreciate the heat and they will go toward heat but she probably unfortunately fried because she was right under the heat and couldn't get out of the way so that's something that kind of sets people up I think for failure in some cases I've had people that have moved from snakes to tarantulas that this is a concept that takes a little time getting used to The other part of it that takes some getting used to is the idea of humidity. People keep reptiles, get used to humidity gauges, keeping a certain level of humidity up to avoid respiratory issues, to promote good molting, things of that nature. And I think when we move into the hobby, we read humidity on a care sheet and we immediately assume we've got to have perfect humidity and that's not the case. As I've gone through before many times for tarantulas, you're talking about ones that are a little more moisture dependent is the phrase we like to use. And for ones that are moisture dependent, we use water dishes, we use moist substrate, but we don't obsessively worry about humidity levels. It's more like if it needs moisture, it's going to have moist substrate in a water dish. If it doesn't, it's going to have dry. It's much, much more simple than what we usually do with snakes. And then finally, I would say the last thing that gets us into a little bit trouble is the idea of power feeding. With snakes, the idea of power feeding is you've got a female that you've just spent thousands of dollars on and you want to very quickly breed her so turn a profit and get some of your money back. So what you do with snakes is you feed them very, very quickly and they will grow much, much faster. And I think people that come over the hobby start using the term power feeding to apply to anyone that feeds their tarantulas, slings, whatever the size of the spider may be, more often than just once a week or twice a month whatever it may be and the the term although people still use it really doesn't apply to the tarantula hobby you can't power feed a spider slings are meant to eat as much as they can as fast as they can because it behooves them to grow out of that sling stage as quickly as possible there are when they're tiny they're targets for many different predators and the idea is to get bigger bolder so they can go out and hunt and be a little more safer in their environment so slings will eat as much as you give them the general consensus with keepers now is that it behooves them to feed the slings and get them out of that delicate sling stage as fast as possible. Because anybody that's kept slings before, although it's not as hard as some people will make it out to be, you do have to be cognizant of the fact that tarantulas have a lot of slings. A lot of them don't make it in the wild, and that's when they're at their most vulnerable. Once they put on some size, they're usually a little more hardy, but slings, you know, they don't have that waxy coating on their exoskeletons yet that prevents them from dehydrating and that can cause more problems so the idea is to grow them up as fast as possible that is not power feeding and that kind of drives me nuts when people talk about power feeding and the fact that if you feed your sling a couple times a week, you're power feeding, and that's a bad thing. And I hear talks about them shortening the lifespans of tarantulas by power feeding. I, I think that's kind of bull. Bottom line is you're shearing off maybe a couple months, maybe a couple months with males because they have shorter lifespans. But as far as females concerned, you're talking a lot of times about species that can live upwards of 15, 20, 30, even 40 years, depending on the species. So it's important to consider the fact that even though you may be taking a little bit off of their actual sling stage, they're built to grow quickly at that stage. And then something else that needs to be mentioned is for those people trying to power feed larger specimens like juveniles and adults, they can only eat so much. So if I feed my tarantula three, four times in a week and it fattens up really quickly, what I'm most likely going to have is an elongated pre period. I'm gonna have a spider that's going to take its time molting and I've seen this with people that keep um, grandma store porteri or rosea the the typical rose hair what will happen is they'll get them from pet stores the pet store will say yeah drop in five or six crickets every other day or so they'll overfeed them to a point and what will end up happening is that grandma store will now take months to molt and then you get people going oh my Grammy's mol- my grandma not eating right now there's something wrong with it no, it's just, you've, it's taken in it all it can take. It's got its energy reserves built up and that switch goes and it's time to go into pre-mall and that can take quite some time. So again, it drives me kind of nuts when people use the term power feeding, I think When you say power feeding in the tarantula hobby, unfortunately, people know exactly what you're talking about. It basically means you're feeding the tarantula as much as it will eat, or you're feeding it more often than once a week, but it's really, it doesn't really apply to these spiders. And so that's something that I think comes out of the snake hobby. I know I originally, when I got into it, I was concerned because I would feed my slings three times a week. I like feeding slings more often because I do, A, want to get them out of that delicate period, and B, you need to be a little more attentive to their environment because they're more susceptible to drying out and becoming dehydrated, especially during the winter months, like right now I have uh, two containers that I keep slings in and I like feeding them as much as, you know, three times a week if I can pull it off, usually it's closer to two, but that allows me to go and check, make sure that the substrate's adequately moist, that they're okay, so that is not power feeding. That's just growing your slings up. And then when you get an adult, I mean, I can think of, um, formic is one of my favorite all time species. When I first got them, I enjoyed watching them eat. So once my guys hit like four and a half inches or so, I'd start really pumping the food, dropping four or five, six crickets in watching them eat them. What would happen is after about two, three weeks of eating like that, they would go into an incredibly long pre molt period. So what did I gain out of that? Well, it, it, it's ready for pre molt much sooner than it would have been. But really, it's not going to affect their lifespan any. They're just going to take longer to molt. So if I drag that out and only fed them once a week, I probably would have a shorter pre molt. And I can tell you now, I've done that with some of them, and the pre molts tend to be shorter. So a couple things that don't come carry over from the reptile hobby, and again, talking about snakes from my experience, but any reptile that you have to keep a certain humidity or temperature. The heat lamps, heat mats, things of that nature can be really a rough spot in the tarantula hobby, can cause some problems, and the whole power feeding idea does not quite work. So so to encapsulate, I do think somebody coming from another exotics hobby, whether it be reptiles or snakes or something of that nature, will benefit from having some of that background knowledge. It will transition fairly well into tarantulas. That said... Once you decide you're moving into the tarantula hobby, it's time to do your research. And that's where I think the good keepers come realize that, all right, I have this background knowledge, but I do need to learn more about this specific animal. So that does not absolve you from going out, doing some research, finding out about these animals. That just means that you've got basic exotics, husbandry probably down. You have a basic understanding of it. Now it's time to do the hard part and go out, find out information about spiders as a whole, things to look for, molting, pre-molting, all the good things that confuse new hobbyists, and to start doing some research on which species you want to get. And for a second topic for this podcast, I'm going to kind of, it's going to be one of my tarantula controversies for anyone that follows my blogs kind of a shorter one but this has come up a couple times lately and it's because I've posted some videos online of quote-unquote tarantula pet store rescues where I've found a tarantula in a pet store in deplorable conditions and in both cases they were species I wanted but part of it was I felt terrible for the animal being in those conditions and decided to purchase it to rescue it now what comes up is this and I have one here Hey, Tom, great grab on the Afonopelma simani, but I do have a question. By buying this, aren't you just encouraging the pet stores to get more tarantulas in? Uh, this is a really tricky one for me because I really see both sides of it clearly. And I've had a hard time answering this because I do have a little bit of guilt after I pick one up. But please understand that if I pick one up from a pet store, it's because I'm trying to establish a good relationship with the pet store at the time, and I don't, we don't sell them in Connecticut, so I have to go out to other pet stores in Massachusetts. And there's one in particular that I can say that I've been going there for about a year and a half now, and they are improving their husbandry. They got somebody there now that apparently knows about tarantulas. I've, I've seen things improve, and I've given them tips every time I'm in there, but you have to be careful on how you approach people because if you come across as a know-it-all, they tend to tune you out, you know, how people are but the theory is and I'll share my thoughts on this that by buying tarantulas from these places we see an animal in deplorable conditions we pick it up we're encouraging them to carry more and there is some truth that obviously if a pet store carries these animals and nobody's buying them then they would stop selling them it's as simple as that that's the theory anyway Unfortunately, what I like to point out is they have been selling these in pet stores since I first got my first tarantula back in the mid 90s. And basically the people that are buying from the pet stores more often than not are not informed people like ourselves who are in the hobby, have been in the hobby for a while, and hopefully know what we're doing, they are people that come in and go, oh, God, look, it! it's a tarantula. This looks awesome. Let me pick one up and have no idea what they're doing. So, unfortunately, until the general public at large gets informed about these guys, and, and we do it a little bit at a time, but let's call it as it is, the majority of people out there, even some that have been in the hobby for a little while, don't know how to properly take care of them. Until we can do that, people come off the street, they're an oddity, and that's why pet stores carry them basically Even I've talked to people that carry only reptiles and they will tell you flat out. I put some, you know, tarantulas and scorpions up there because people are like, oh, these are cool. And it kind of draws customers in. It's a gimmick almost. That's how they're treated, which is sad because if you're carrying an animal, I thoroughly believe you should know how it's taken care of. You should know its husbandry and you should actually care about the animal, not like, oh, these are bugs that I'm putting on my shelves to attract customers. So I think part of the problem and, and, and why I think that's somewhat flawed logic is yes, in an ideal world. The small contingent of us who are informed and watch videos and read about tarantulas and their care and know how to take care of them, that small contingency of us, if we stop buying tarantulas, let's call this viz, that only represents a very small fraction of the people that are actually buying these things. I've been in Petco and seen the people that are looking at tarantulas and heard what they're saying. I've been in pet stores and seen the people that go in and look at them. They don't know very much about them, and that's the sad truth is that the majority of the people that are buying these aren't people like us. They're people that are ill-informed, so even if we all stop buying them, and I agree, we we probably shouldn't be buying them from these places in a way we are encouraging it, but even if we should stop doing that – The majority of people out there that are coming into these pet stores and buying them are ill-informed, and they're still going to buy them anyway. So we could all stop. It represents a small fraction of the people who are actually buying these pet store tarantulas. So again, I see both sides of it because... At like with this pet store, I encourage them to get more. I bought one, I encourage them, but I didn't leave there without saying something and talking about the care and making some suggestions. I was hoping to establish a relationship so that I could change it. And I think that's important too. If you go into one of these places and just pick it up off the shelf and walk out and buy it and you don't talk to anybody about it, it You really haven't done anything. You at least need to kind of try. And unfortunately, with the big pet chains, they have their marching orders from the higher ups. So that can be very difficult to do. A lot of I hear a lot of horror stories of people going into Petco and going, hey, this is just how corporate tells us to do it. That said. Uh, I, I have a very, I love animals. I got into this hobby. I, I don't just love spiders. I know some people just really love the tarantulas and that's it. I have four dogs. I absolutely adore my dogs. They're like kids to me. When I was younger, I grew up on basically a small, we'll call it a hobby farm because we weren't definitely living by what we were producing, but we, we had many head of goats, sheep, we had cows. I mean, we had the whole nine and I just love animals and I've never been able to see an animal in crisis and just walk away from it so I guess this is kind of the old head versus heart your head tells you yep by buying it you are encouraging them to carry more but I'm not going to fault somebody that goes in there sees a tarantula that it will be dead by the end of the week and I did have a situation where I picked one up that I was pretty sure was not going to survive much longer it's very difficult to go yep you know what buddy you're suffering you're in pain I love animals and all but if I buy this this is just going to encourage them to get more. So I think to jump all over people that do this is completely wrong. I think what we should do is probably point out the fact that, yeah, you know what, we're encouraging them to buy, but we have to look at it realistically in that the majority of people that are going in there and buying these things are not people like you guys, listeners, myself that know what we're doing. And I also think we need to take into account that, you know what, you saved one. I, I get the idea that you're going to just bring more into peril, but there's a whole industry going on here that's been around since the 90s that's not going anywhere. We need to work more on educating these people. Uh, recently, Petco made, actually, I think it was about a year and a half ago, Petco made the announcement they were going to start really pushing more tarantulas. And what ended up happening was originally they released a list of what they were going to put out there. And there were a lot of old worlds where a lot of hobbyists, there was a bunch of stuff on boards, got together, and some people actually contacted Petco and talked to corporate and talked them down from selling some of the old world species they were looking to sell. Because let's call it as it is, Joe Schmo off the street does not realize that not all tarantula bites are like bee stings. They don't realize that a piece of Lotheria bite could land them in the hospital. So in that instance... People approached them kind of as a collective and spoke with some people from a large corporation and a change was made. Now, they're still selling them. If you've seen those tarantula huts, they suck for lack of a better term. There's still a ways to go, but they are making improvements. So that's what I think this is about is education and trying to educate people about these. And again, another daunting task. I'm not going to lie for every, you know, ten keepers I reach out there with some of my information, husbandry information, I'm sure there are thousands more that have no idea I exist or that forums like Arachnaborge or that some of these tarantula groups on Facebook exist and are going without proper information. I get that. I totally respect that. However, I do think that we need to be a little more supportive of people that go out there and can't help themselves, see a tarantula that's about to die pick it up I just think that the people that are doing this be aware that this is a problem in pet stores it's there are some there are obviously some good pet stores out there but there are a lot of bad pet stores out there be aware of this and try to educate do your part go in there and go you know what I'm gonna pick this up and tell the keeper especially especially if it's private people they you know not a big pet store or pet smart or whatever the heck they are if you're dealing with somebody that's got their own pet store they own it Try to get to them to explain to them. Listen, I'm picking this up partly because it wasn't kept correctly. Look at you got this one here. This is a moisture-dependent species. You're going to have a dead spider. Sometimes if you just hit them in terms of their wallet and tell them, you know what, you're going to have a bunch of dead spiders on your hands. They'll listen. I know the place I was talking to. didn't really, the guy admittedly wasn't a big spider person. That's kind of sugarcoating it. But when you started talking about the fact that he was buying these expensive species and they were just going to die before he could sell them that tend to make a little more of a dent. Now, luckily, they've got somebody in there that obviously legitimately loves these animals, and that's great. So there's we've made an improvement. These are animals that are living in better conditions. So as far as it goes, I get it. I get both sides of it. I get people that go in there, see these poor pitiful things, and snatch them up. I also get the people that get frustrated and go, you're just encouraging it. You're keeping this trend going. You're keeping it alive. You're encouraging them to continue selling them. I get that point. But then I have to take a step back and look at reality. Reality is... That animal is going to die if you don't pick it up. If you can go home and sleep at night knowing that you probably could have just dropped in, a lot of times you can get them down in price when you explain they're half dead, which means you're getting them for a good deal. If you can sleep well at night knowing you just left it there to die, that's great. I will tell you somebody else came in right after you and possibly bought it. Other people are going to buy it. So the logic doesn't quite add up. I think as a collective, as hobbyists, we need to get together and do more. And I know I'm trying, although we don't, again, we don't sell them in my state. So I have to go over to a different state, but we need to do more as a collective to educate people about them. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take time. Obviously the big corporations really don't give a flying flute, what we say sometimes, but if we press them enough, make it so it hurts them in the wallet, or at least be reasonable enough that they will listen. And I, again, I, as evidenced by that situation with Petco, we would do much more good than just ignoring the problem, not buying these poor animals and pretending like it's all going to go away. All right, so that's it for this one. We just hit the half hour mark. Hopefully I didn't just bore everybody to tears. I am enjoying this format and we'll probably continue with it as long as people like it and again the the goal is to eventually have less me just talking I'll get some interviews in here but I do find that this is a more relaxing format for me to get some of this information out where instead of making 15 minute long videos with me just filling in pictures of spiders for filler I can just kind of run off at the mouth. so again thanks so much for joining I'll be back again next week with another one and we'll keep this thing going